Amen. Thank you so much. Two years is too long to wait to hear you sing again. Good gracious alive. I'm delighted to be here, Dr. Patterson, as always. It's uh, very humbling for me to be here. My wife had a way of saying to me that uh, for most people, uh, humility was just an appealing attribute, but in my case, it was always very appropriate. So um, I am humbled, and I do appreciate the privilege of sharing with you. I, I will tell you from the outset that it is not my intention this morning to preach at you, but to just share with you. And in some ways, um, I wish you and I were seated together over in the coffee shop across from the table and I could just look you in the eye and tell you what's on my heart because I want to speak to you this morning about faith and about the importance of leaving a legacy of faith. Now, when we think about faith, we understand that it involves not only ascribing to a system of beliefs, what is your faith, but it also involves action, it involves faithfulness. Let, let me try to explain that as we, as we just talk together here. Every aspect of the Christian life operates on the basis of faith. We're saved by faith, for by grace are we saved through faith, that not of ourselves. It's a gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. We, we live by faith. For the life that I now live, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me, said the Apostle Paul. We, we walk by faith, the Scripture says, and not by sight. We stand by faith, Paul said. Watch, stand fast in the faith. Equip yourselves like men. Be strong. We stand by faith. We pray by faith. Whatsoever you ask in prayer, believing you shall receive. We, we overcome obstacles by faith. Uh, if you have the faith of a grain of mustard seed, you'll say to that mountain, remove to yonder place, and it'll be removed, and nothing will be impossible to you. Everything operates on the basis of faith. We fight by faith. Fight the good fight of faith. We gain the victory by faith. This is the victory that overcomes the world, even our faith. As a matter of fact, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 6, we read that without faith it is impossible to please God, not hard, but absolutely impossible to please God. And, of course, we're reminded in Romans 14, 23 that whatsoever is not of faith is what it is sin. So it's not just not pleasing God, it is it is a matter of sinning if we do not live a life of faith. But very quickly, and you've learned this here, if nowhere else, very quickly we discover that, that faith is not just mental assent to a body of truth. It is, it is enduring under the authority of that truth. It's an action, a long lifetime action. Maybe faithfulness better describes it. But if you, if you turned to the book of Hebrews, do not do that right now, but if you turn to the book of Hebrews chapter 11, the roll call of men and women of faith, you would discover immediately that none of them are famous for what they thought or how they felt. Not one of them. They're famous for what they did in response to what God said. God's will, His plans are revealed to the man of God by the Spirit of God through the Word of God for us in this era. But these are people who who did what God said. By faith, Abel offered. Enoch walked. Noah 
prepared an ark. Abraham went out. Uh, Jacob and Isaac blessed. They did something. Moses forsook. They did something. So faith is not just nodding your head in chapel on a Tuesday morning and saying, I believe that. It is living under the authority of what God says by His Spirit to your heart through His Word. But I guess this message is more of a question. Are you leaving a legacy of faith and faithfulness? Are you leaving a legacy of that behind? In 2 Timothy, if you would open your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 1, in 2 Timothy the Apostle Paul is writing his young protege. No one is mentioned more times in his letters than then Timothy, you know the history of Timothy. If you do not read the book of Acts, that's a good place to start. And then you can, <laughs> you can look almost any place in the writings of the Apostle Paul. And then the Hebrews tells us a little bit about the fact that Timothy was most likely imprisoned at least once and, uh, and then released. So here is quite a stalwart young man. And Paul is inviting him to suffer. As a matter of fact, he says, come join me in my suffering. Now, this is not the way that you and I do it. This is not the way the world does it. We try to soft-pedal everything, don't we? I saw an advertisement on television recently. It almost wished me made, I had, uh, or made me wish I had allergies. This, this lady was running across the field. The birds were singing. The music was playing. The sun was shining. The clouds were perfect in the sky. And you just thought, man, I wish I had an allergy so I could take that kind of medicine. But then underneath that medicine, it was telling you the truth. You know, prolonged use of this will cause your nose to turn upside down. Your ears will fall off the side of your face. If you die, be sure you call a doctor within five minutes. You know, what, what is all this stuff? Well, that's the truth is, is what it is about about the medicine. Well, the Christian faith is just the opposite. Paul starts out by saying, Timothy, I'm suffering. Come join me in my suffering. But he was confident that he could say that to Timothy because Timothy was a man of faith. Look with me in verse 5. He said, I've been thinking about this as I pray for you. My heart is filled with joy. I cry when I pray about you, but I am mindful of the sincere, the unmitigated, the undiluted faith that is within you, which first dwelt in your grandmother Lois and then your mother Eunice, and I am convinced that it is in you as well. So, if you'll just let me bear my heart for a few moments and talk with you, I'd like to talk about this whole issue of faith and the importance of leaving a legacy of faith. There's nothing more important for you to leave behind than a legacy of faith. Even if you leave inordinate amounts, that wouldn't be inordinate, but gracious, generous amounts of resources, money, somehow it ought to say something about your faith, that you're a man or a woman of faith, a legacy of faith. I, I'd just like to make three observations here, and, and perhaps you'll catch, catch where I'm going pretty soon. Every, every person who has within them a legacy of faith must acknowledge that a legacy of faith always has a point of beginning. It started someplace. Now, Paul points back. Here, here is Timothy his mother a Jewess, his father a, a Greek, a Gentile. 
He points back to the fact that Timothy didn't come by this just by waking up one morning and falling out of bed and being a man of faith. He said, this started with your grandmother, Timothy. Don't forget that. And I know about that. And then it was passed along to your mother. And then your mother passed it along to you. It has a point of beginning. Now, now you'll see in just a few moments why this is so important to me. But let me just tell you a story. Some of the folks in this auditorium this morning are familiar with this story because they are my relatives, Oliver, Dr. Smith, uh, both Dr. Smiths, my uh, daughter and her husband, the man seated out here, and others. In 1869, right after the uh, Civil War, my great-grandfather took his uh, young wife, her name was Mary Jane, put her on a train. You remember True Grit, came as far as the railroad would take them, which was to Fort Smith, Arkansas, got off the train, did all the things that you would expect. They bought a, a wagon team and traveled into Oklahoma, into the, some of the hardest part of, of Oklahoma. In fact, they came down Horse Thief Springs. How would you like to live in Horse Thief Springs? Anyway, they traveled into Horse Thief Springs, bought a farm, put in a crop, and as the crop began to mature, and it was going to be just the best crop they'd ever had, she came down with cholera. And she said to her husband, I don't want to die in this here wild Indian territory. And so he sold the farm, took the wagon team, went back to Fort Smith, which is where the train stopped, bought train tickets back to Tennessee, where they came from, Giles County, Tennessee. And on the train, she began to die. They moved her to a bench in the front, moved a couple of cowboys off the bench, and moved her bench in the front. He took his little daughter that had been born earlier and handed it to an elderly lady there. And she looked up at her husband lying there on the bench, and she said, Jim, promise me two things. By the way, I have this in his handwriting. She said, promise me two things. And he said, Mary Jane, what can I promise you? She said, promise me you will give your heart to God, and promise me you will give this baby to God. And he, he writes, he said, I knelt down, and I stayed on my knees a long, long time. But when I stood up, I said, Mary Jane, I promise, I'll give my heart to God. I'll give this baby to God. And she said to me, goodbye, Jim, and say goodbye to the baby, and died. On Wednesday evening, they held a, a funeral service for her in Giles County, Tennessee. The next Sunday morning, a little old country church in the middle of the worship services, the doors burst open and standing silhouetted in the sunlight was this tall gangly great-grandfather of mine holding a baby over his head and he said brethren i've come to give my life to god and to give this baby to god the point of beginning he became a firebrand as a matter of fact he came back to oklahoma two years later with his second wife they had 11 children five survived one was my granddad who was called into the gospel ministry, but he was so impressed by his father's fervent, fervent devotion to the gospel, his legacy of faith, that he began to carry that into his own family. From my grandfather down to my grandson, who is a graduate of the college here, from my are 19 preachers in our family, 17 of whom are still living, which makes for interesting family reunions. Dr. Patterson, 14 of whom are graduates, benefited from the education right here at Southwestern Seminary and from Southern Baptist, and we're in deeply indebted to both the school and to Southern Baptist for that. 
And you say, well, you know, I, I wish that that's not the way I grew up. My mom and dad were, were divorced, and I grew up in a horrible situation. That is the point. It's on you. Just like it was on James Thomas Elephant, 1869. It is on you. Someplace along the way, a legacy of faith has a point of beginning. Will you be him or her? The point of beginning, was it my great-grandfather? No. It was someone who's not even a relative of mine, his first wife, who said, Jim, give your life to God. Give this baby to God. So that, that observation, every legacy of faith has a point of beginning. The second observation I'd just like to make is one that is quite obvious, and that is that on your watch, the legacy of faith is either going to grow or diminish. It will either develop or it will die. That's the testimony of the Scripture. I was reading just recently about Hezekiah. How could you not like Hezekiah mostly? I mean, anybody that would be so totally different than his godless father Ahaz, anyone who would have a heart that was so much like David that the Bible says maybe he was second only to David, only at the end of his life to so compromise that his offspring, Manasseh, turns out to be worse than his father, Ahaz. You see, the legacy of faith either develops on your watch or it diminishes. And that's not an easy thing to do. I, uh, I remember vividly when Jeannie and I came, my wife, came to Southwestern. We came on the basis of a word from the Lord. We didn't have a job down here. We put what we could in a car, drove to Fort Worth, checked into what was then the Townhouse Motel. Some of you old men will remember that. You're old as I am. Over there on Interstate 35 and Seminary Drive, we checked into that hotel. All we had was cash. The only credit card we had was a Phillips gas card. That was it. I came down here and enrolled in classes. Every day we would pay that hotel for the motel to stay here. I remember our first little argument in our marriage. We'd been married about a year. I remember our first little argument, and I came to class that morning and was so smitten in class that I determined the moment I left that class, I went and got in the car and I drove to the townhouse on the way. Jeannie had already walked as far as the high school down here, and we met. It was just like in the movies. Boy, I'm telling you what. And we determined then, never were we going to let anything stand between us for minutes even, seconds at the most, we would resolve it. Some of you all may need to leave this chapel and go home. We got down to the point where we had two dollars two dollars. That was it. And a promise from God that he was going to take care of us. And we were actually, you've heard this, it's true. We were actually on our knees in the motel room praying that God would show us what to do with the two dollars we had left when the phone rang. And this guy said, we have had the hardest time catching you. And it wasn't even from a guy here. He said, somebody in another state recommended you to our church, and we're so, we don't, you know, is there any way you could come over here and live with us for a couple of weeks? Oh, boy, could we? And I took, I took one of those dollars that we had and paid what was then the turnpike fee between here and Dallas. And two weeks later when I was called to that church, I still had the original, do the, the, the last dollar. It was a walk of faith. 
a walk of and, and you have to tend to it like a garden. You have to communicate that with your children and with your grandchildren. You see, on your watch, it either grows or it dies. July 15, Wednesday night, we had a, a little party at our house. We had every one of our 25 grandkids, our children. We were all gathered together, and we had, we had a celebration. In fact, the, we were going to honor my wife, the, the grandmother, the mother. And so uh, the kids even had a little play about her, a little song that they were going to sing. And then afterwards, Jean and I were going to have a long talk with our kids. And, and uh, before we did that, though, we had the meal. We all sang together, be present at our table, Lord, which we always sang and always will sing at our, at our meals. And then I said, Jeannie, would you share your testimony one more time with this family? And Jeannie shared her testimony, how coming to seminary, still in her heart there were these questions and how when I was pastor here at Mansfield just down the road and still a seminary student, she wrestled that out and having been a pastor's wife for five years, finally came to repentance and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. And she told that story one more time to our children and to our grandchildren. We went in, we had a meeting with our kids and talked to them bluntly because, you see, we knew she was about to die. The doctor said, Thanksgiving, maybe Christmas. And so we went to bed that night and the next. Five nights later, we were, we were um, lying in bed together as we had so many times in our 48 years and 11 months of marriage. And I was, I was holding her hand, quoting Scripture, which is something we, we love to do. And I, I, this time I was quoting it. She had labored breathing, had settled down a little bit, and I was quote, quoted Psalm 27, you know, the Lord is my light, my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Whom shall I be afraid? When evildoers rise against me, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell, those who would devour my flesh. Then I quoted from, from Ephesians chapter 3, and then finally uh, one of our favorite passages in yours from John 14, you know, don't let your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And my Father's house are many mansions. If it weren't so, I would have told you. Now, I'm going to prepare a place for you. And when I said that, she took one last breath of this earth's stale air. And the divine presence of Jesus just swept into the room. And he leaned over to her and said, it's time. Come away, my love. Come away. And she entered the presence of the Lord. But not one child or grandchild has any question as to where she is or whether she was a believer in Christ. You see, on your watch, this is either growing or it is diminishing. What's happening? And it's not going to grow just because you say, I'm a man of faith or I'm a woman of faith. You have to be a man of faith. You have to bring yourself under the authority of the Word of God. As you read it voluminously and systematically and reverently and obediently, as a mentor of mine said, if you try to master it, it will master you. That's what's involved in being a man or a woman of faith. And let me just close by saying that I believe that leaving a legacy of faith 
is what will give your life the greatest impact. Did Timothy's legacy of faith have a place of beginning? Yes, it dwelt first in his grandmother, then his mother, and then him. Did it grow under his supervision? Absolutely. You know the, you know the life of Timothy. You know how it prospered as he became the pastor at Ephesus. It's, it's said that perhaps he died at stoning and trying to turn back a godless parade. A man of faith, incredible faith. It prospered, but it gave his life incredible impact as well. Here we are 2,000 years later reading about Timothy. Understanding a little bit of what it is to be a pastor by understanding Timothy and his life. What, what impact? Do you think Lois ever thought about that? I don't know. Eunice, I don't know. Do you think Timothy sat down and said, I think I'll leave a legacy of faith? You see, there's something wrong with turning the ministry into just a profession. It has to be lived out. That's when it becomes something of impact. It has to be lived out. For those of you in the pastoral ministry, your children know how you approach the pastoral ministry. They know whether you, you float your resume out and spend hours in front of the computer trying to work out a real nice resume as if God didn't know your address. <laughs> they know whether you're honest enough. I mean, if you start floating these things out, they know whether you... What you really should do is stand up in front of the church you currently pastor and say, I don't care for you anymore and I'm not interested in you anymore and you need to adjust my salary correctly because I'm sending out resumes. They know whether you live by the Word of God. They see it day by day. And the people with whom you work, you may not have children in the home. Your children of faith may be at work. They see every day whether you are a man or a woman of faith. I thought about this. A few weeks ago, I was um, sitting at home, and I'll be honest, I was, uh, I was thinking about Jeannie, and I'll just be a little bit more honest. I was crying. I, I miss her. I mean... She was my world. My prayer every day is that my conscious sense of God's presence will grow larger in me than my conscious sense of Jeannie's absence, if that makes sense to you. I don't know whether it does or not, but that... So I was, I was sort of, you know, in the pit, so to speak, and I was thinking, you know, here, what a testimony. And we worked so hard together as a team to try to communicate faith with our children lord then i got my first text now old people like me we don't we i'm, I'm sort of like that grandfather who asked his granddaughter for a newspaper and she gave him a lecture instead you know this is the 21st century and you know we don't we we don't use up trees we here she said use my ipad he said that fly never knew what hit it um so i that's sort of that's sort of where i am but I, but, I, but I do text. And I got my first text. And it was uh, from my granddaughter, Abigail, Sarah and Greg's oldest daughter. 
And she said, Granddad, I want you to pray with me because somebody I've been witnessing to over in, in uh, Thailand has just come to know the Lord Jesus Christ. And did you know that within two hours, I received text from four others, so that would make five, four other grandkids, independent of each other, who did not know the other had texted me, saying, Granddaddy, pray for me. I've just led someone to Christ. Five grandkids in one day saying they've just led somebody to the Lord Jesus Christ. Let me just tell you something. Leaving a legacy of faith will give your life an impact that is greater than anything else you can do. I have a friend who uh, travels the world and takes pictures and talks about what he sees and loves God, and, and you ought to meet him. Dave and Jill Shanks know him. You, you, you ought to meet him. He's a wonderful guy. And I sat just transfixed watching him one day as he put these pictures up on the screen. And he said, I was up in Alaska. He said, see this, isn't this a pretty stream? Isn't this a beautiful little stream? He said, I, 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 was, I, I, was, I was doing a special for National Geographic on beavers. I believe it was National Geographic, but he's done one for eagles and mountain lions and, you know. And he said, um, beavers are really interesting. He said, anyway, this beaver's building his little his little dam. And he said, beautiful stream, clear water. He said, I, w I went back. He said, isn't this a beautiful little pond here? He said, oh, by the way, the pond is what's backed up behind that beaver dam. And he said, this guy is really working. His wife is downstream, and he's going to bring her home to the lodge, and they're going to make babies. And he said, oh, this is a bad deal. Here's a, here is a bear coming out of hibernation. And he had pictures. And he said, and in fact, he had pictures of the fur on the ground. He said he ate that beaver. He said, I just grieved over that. All that work, that lodge, all that work. And then he said, before I quit, I want to show you a picture. He said, uh, this is, I think, the prettiest lake in Alaska. He put the picture up there. It was a beautiful lake, clear, animals drinking. and the, you, It was just incredible. And he said, oh, by the way, he said, you notice the same mountain ranges back there and the same mountain. He said, as a matter of fact, he said, this is the lake that came from the little pond that came from the little creek that was dammed up by the beaver who had no idea how he was changing the landscape of the world. You will never have greater impact than if you leave a legacy of faith. Come on and join me in my sufferings, Timothy. I'm down here in prison here. It's really tough. I'm about to die. But if anybody understands this, it would be you. You have such pure faith. It had a point of beginning in your grandmother. It was nurtured by your mother. And I'm convinced it's in you also. Get here as quick as you can. Father, I pray we would leave legacies of faith and faithfulness. In Jesus' name, amen.